The following content is brought to you by Andy Beach, Paul Boyer, Will Harris, and David Sierra. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young. A little bit later, we're going to talk about something I hate talking about. I know it's something that a lot of you like to talk about a lot. Some of you might be sick of it, like me. But we're going to talk about Trump's Twitter. I genuinely make an effort because I think that this is a very well-covered story. Uh, in many other outlets. So I try to stay away from it, but there is a new development. Twitter has now affixed a fact-checking link to uh, a, a pair of Trump tweets. The assumption is that there would be more going forward, and so we are going to bring on the host of Daily Tech News Show, a guest host of this program, our... UK correspondent, Tom Merritt. We are also going to talk about our interview last Friday. Got a bunch of emails about this one. We will talk about that and whether or not masks have become the newest front of the culture war. But first, Joe Biden has a question before him. Who will be his vice president, and we on PX3 are going to do our best to help him. Ladies and gentlemen, let's vet. Michiganders are no different from Americans everywhere. We love our families and want a good life today and a better life tomorrow for our kids. We work hard, and we expect our government to work hard for us as well. We have grit and value loyalty, and we still root for the Detroit Lions. Gretchen Whitmer is the current governor of Michigan. She is 48 years old. She has two daughters from a previous marriage for which she divorced in 2011. She remarried to Mark Mallory, who had three sons of his own, Brady Bunch-style They are still together. She wins her first election in the year 2000. Entering into the Michigan State House of Representatives, she won two more elections there, serving three terms total before running for Michigan State Senate in 2006, won that, and then wins re-election in 2010. In 2016, she served as emergency Ingram County prosecutor. That's where Lansing, Michigan is. This happened after the old uh, prosecutor had to resign because he was surfaced in a human trafficking investigation and eventually was charged with 11 counts of being with a prostitute as well as convincing a woman to be a prostitute and neglecting his duty. Eventually, Gretchen runs for governor in 2018 and wins. Uh, She ran against a Republican 
Uh, although not the sitting governor. The sitting governor was term limited. So during that race, she was able to overcome comparisons to a previous governor, Jennifer Grandholm, who had overseen an economic downturn. Her opponent was also a bit of a mess. He split the support of his own party, causing the outgoing Governor Snyder to withhold his endorsements. He also pivoted away from his association with Donald Trump, which he had previously put front and center. Whitmer won by 10 points, immediately putting her in the center of a political crosswind. She's a woman. She can win moderate votes because she ran to the right of her Democratic primary opponents. And most importantly, she could do it in the surprise swing state of Michigan. And again, it's very important to remember the 2016 of it all as we talk about Gretchen Whitmer. Remember, Donald Trump kept going to Michigan. Nobody knew why Donald Trump was going to Michigan. Everybody wanted to make fun for Donald Trump uh, of Don, Donald Trump for going to Michigan. Hillary Clinton didn't want to bring her campaign to Michigan because even though her internal numbers were showing that support for her was eroding there, she didn't want, or at least her team didn't want, to have the media seize on the idea that they were losing ground. So out of pride, they did not go back to Michigan. They lose Michigan. Now it's 2020 and all anybody can think of is Michigan. So let's flash forward a little bit. A lot of folks think that it was the COVID stuff that put Gretchen Whitmer on the national stage, but it really isn't. Gretchen Whitmer got a taste of the spotlight earlier this year when she was selected to give the official Democratic rebuttal to Donald Trump's State of the Union. Bullying people on Twitter doesn't fix bridges. It burns them. Our energy should be used to solve problems. Now, in general, these spots are not exactly the kinds of plum assignments that you might expect. They're not particularly well-watched or discussed. Nothing of note really happens. And in general, the times that we do remember these rebuttals are when somebody screws up, like Marco Rubio having to dart off camera to chug water because he's too overheated. But by and large, there were some very good points highlighted by Whitmer for her own career. She stuck to domestic issues and totally ignored everything that was happening internationally. Remember, at the time of this State of the Union... We are just coming to the end of the impeachment and removal issue. She doesn't touch on that at all. It's all about inside the home. A lot of it's about infrastructure. In fact, this was a key issue for Whitmer when she was running for governor. One of her rallying cries was, fix the damn roads. Michigan apparently has some lunar-sized potholes. They've got some stuff to fix, and Gretchen Whitmer pitched herself as the one to fix it. She has yet to do it, which brings us to some of her problems governing pre-COVID. It appears as if some of the rivalries that she's had as somebody who served in the Michigan State Legislature since 2000, so now for two decades, 
She's still got some old grudges, and she hasn't been able to reach across the aisle as many voters might have hoped she could have, being a more moderate Democrat. In fact, the more she's come close to the national spotlight, it seems that she has tacked more progressive. Which, of course, brings us to now. The COVID of it all. Lawmakers in Michigan are taking extra precautions today after the Capitol building was overrun by protesters, some of whom were armed with semi-automatic weapons. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is standing her ground. The worst thing we could do is to abandon all social distancing, to pretend like we are done with COVID-19. On April 1st, 2020, Governor Whitmer signed the Stay Home, Stay Safe order this uh, barred non-essential businesses and a host of other things that two months on now nearly have begun to chafe on some of the citizens as restrictions like this have done nationwide. As of a week ago, by and large, she's received good marks for the order. 64% of those surveyed approved of Whitmer's response with 33% disapproving. But nothing has brought Whitmer more press attention than her personal feud with the president. As Whitmer has become more of a celebrity during this time period, the rhetoric between the two has gotten personal. Uh, Michigan, all she does is she has no idea what's going on. And all she does is say, oh, it's the federal government's fault. And we've taken such great care of Michigan. So, you know, procure supplies outside of the federal government. We've been working really hard to do that. We're bidding against one another. It's really not a great system. And once you do have a contract, you can find out later that it will evaporate because uh, you'll be told that the federal government needs the material. We all locked arms and harnessed the incredible power of the, the nation. I think we would do a much better job meeting need and we wouldn't have states trying to cannibalize one another. One last thing in the data dump. There is a possibility of a Todd Palin situation on your hands if you are Biden. A little mini scandal erupting over the Memorial Day weekend when Gretchen Whitmer's husband apparently told a staff member at a boat landing area, so a place where you store your boat, you can get your boat in the water, uh, the first gentleman, according to whoever you believe, either pulled a do you know who I am with the staff to try to cut the line to get his boat in first, or, according to Gretchen Whitmer, he made a joke and it fell on deaf ears because it was an unfunny joke. But if you're Biden, you got to look at that and say, all right, he knows the spotlight's on him. Even if he's making a joke, just something to file away. So what are the pros and the cons? Pros. She's a strong woman. She appeals to Midwestern moderates, or at least has. She seems very eager to play at a national level. She's got name recognition, and she does not have a massive legislative record or D.C. grudges that she would have to overcome. Cons. Her Michigan appeal, as this stretches forward, could be toxic with the working class white voters that you really need to appeal to. 
She's not proven to be across the aisle legislator, and she doesn't have D.C. experience. So whether or not she can help you get elected, will she help you be somebody that can get things done in the legislative branch remains to be seen. Personally, I don't think Gretchen Whitmer's the pick. I think that Biden 2020 has proven themselves to be, if it ain't broke, don't fix it in terms of their basic core strategy. And I think they're going to put Joe Biden with a black woman. And I believe that black woman is going to be Kamala Harris. However, I could see a world where Gretchen Whitmer is that pick. If Michigan continues to do well, if her approval ratings stay up, this is not a crazy idea. And considering her meteoric rise, there's probably a lot of people who have gone broke betting against her. All right. We're doing it. We're focused. Uh, uh, Thank you to everybody who got us over 900 patrons. 1-900 is the number you are looking at. That's 1-900 like the telephone, which means pay. This metaphor got away from me. Here's what didn't. You guys supporting a show that actually cares about talking about politics and not telling you what to think. Right? I'm just trying to give you information. I'm trying to make it entertaining. I'm trying to make it fun. You guys appreciate it. You guys have supported it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com I'm going to let you guys in on something right now. As you know, at the end of this podcast, I have a segment for the Titanic $10 tier. The $10 tier for which I read their names at the end of the show. They get to choose their names. All right, I don't I don't tell them what they need to do. So It's with that that I have to tell you that somebody has subscribed at the $10 level. And that person has named themselves I have pooped my pants. The email that they used to subscribe is you better read this on the podcast at gmail.com. Sorry, I doxed you. I have pooped my pants. So now I got to read this. I got to read this for, for as long as he keeps paying $10. Now, we could have paid $3. He could have got two bonus episodes. He, he could have paid $1. And just supported this show, the Big Tent level that raises our patron count up to uh, the goal we have, which is 1,000 patrons. But no, he picked the $10 level. So we'll see. I don't know. I haven't decided how I'm going to handle this. I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to read I Have Pooped My Pants on this podcast. I've tried to clean up this podcast. I've tried to make this podcast a little bit more respectable. And this is what happens. But I support, I I love all of you. Even I have pooped my pants. TakePoliticsSeriously.com All right, let's go ahead and get into your emails. You can always email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Bunch of emails about the interview we had on Friday. 
which I knew was coming. To be totally honest, I was doing the interview and I was thinking even as I was doing it, this one's going to get some emails. Sure as hell did. Matthew writes in, I've been listening to your politics stuff since right before the 2016 election, and I've always had a great appreciation for the guests you bring on your show. I'm the idiot that donates through PayPal because he doesn't want to commit to a monthly or weekly donation schedule. First and foremost, please feel free to tell your mom she's awesome. I disagree with many of her views, being a self-proclaimed moderate conservative, but it's great to hear her opinion, even though I often don't agree with it. I find it hard to have a conversation when uh, you don't know what the other person in the conversation is saying and thinking, and Gloria offers me that opportunity to hear that without feeling like I'm getting dunked on. Most of your guests offer well-thought-out positions and thought-provoking ideas. Conversely, your interview with Dr. Merkley this week gave me the opposite vibes. I understand the purpose of the interview is to explain the polarizing situation in America over when and how to reopen. I understand that Republicans have uh, political incentives to reopen and that several uh, governors have done so. However, I feel like whether it was his intention or not, Dr. Merkley decided to ascribe beliefs and actions to a side he isn't a part of. Statements like the one he opened the interview with, quote, one party has decided that they are going to undermine public health efforts on COVID-19, end quote, make it really hard to listen to him with an open mind. I found that particular generalization to be pretty offensive, although uh, throughout the interview, he managed to condense a pretty extensive group of people into Fox News watchers and people that are unwilling to listen to experts. I appreciate the sincere effort that you and your staff go through uh, to book people to discuss these topics. I agree with the overarching theme of the problems of cable news, and I'm frustrated that he seems to blame those he disagrees with, as opposed to looking to these things that he can control, which are the people on his side doing many of the same things. Let me just add, we have a couple more Merkley emails, but uh, the staff that puts this together is my senior advisor, Tamar. Tamar does all the booking. Everybody, all hail Tamar. So with... Yeah, I, I love that uh, Matthew thinks we have a staff. <laughs> it is Tamar doing the book and me doing the rest. But but all hail Tamar. She's done a, a, an amazing job with all these guests. Two guests a week we have to book. Jacob writes, interesting interview about the Canadian expect, uh, perspective. But I wanted to respond to the idea that elites want to open the economy to avoid a Great Depression to reelect Trump uh, and say that maybe normal people would want to open the economy to avoid a Great Depression for the purposes of avoiding a Great Depression. But overall, cool interview. Wish we would have gotten more about what Canada is doing instead of what we are doing, but still, nice to hear. Randy writes, I have to give it to Dr. Merkley. He came out swinging. He started by telling us that one party has decided that they are going to undermine public health efforts on COVID-19 in order to re-elect Trump, and he never lost any steam. I'm grateful for his expertise. Before this interview, I had no idea of the, to the extent to which the president had uh, infiltrated my thoughts and desires. I had thought that I wanted restrictions lifted so that I could work to feed my kids and pay my mortgage. Turns out, not only am I secretly against social distancing, but I also really want four more years of Trump. And I don't even watch Fox News. Hell, I didn't even want the first four years of Trump. 
great interview, but your interviewee might need to exit the, the data lab every few weeks and talk to an actual person. If he wants to publish something meaningful, it's easy to knock down a straw man. And in non-Merkley emails, Michael writes, I'm seeing more and more news about masks becoming a symbol of the culture war in the United States, blue versus red. Some stores in the South telling customers to remove their masks. Freedom jerks. I wear a mask when I go shopping, which is only once a week or longer. I get 90% of my groceries through the mail. I wanted to talk a little bit about the mask thing. And because we got the email, it gives me the chance to do it because I don't think it'd be worth a segment. In general, this is a personal opinion, right? I view the masks as less of an issue of restrictive freedom and more of a sign that people are terrified. I like to look at my mask as an American flag pin after 9-11, a yellow ribbon after the, you know, uh, the Gulf War. You know, what, what the poppies are on Veterans Day. It's more of a symbol. You know, a mask in general, unless you're rocking one of those N95 jobs, are mostly to make sure that you don't spread. So whether or not you think you are vulnerable to this, whether or not you believe that this is less of a thing than it is being made, to me, that doesn't enter into the equation. That might for you, that's fine. But for me, I'm explaining personally my, my rationale. My rationale is, I know some people are scared. And some people look at everybody that walks by them on the street as a possible person that's going to infect them. If I can make them one person less nervous, I'm happy to do it. Because I want more people on the street. I want more people to start to live their lives. I know that this virus isn't going to go anywhere, but I do think we're going to have to live in existence while it still prowls our streets. And I don't want to exclude people from it. So whether or not I think I'm vulnerable to it, that's why I do it. And it's why I don't think it's a great culture war topic. But then again, I hate culture war topics, so maybe I'm a bad person to ask about this. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com is where you send your emails. Our guest today is a good friend. He's a friend to us, a friend to me. He's a co-worker. I, I appear on his show, Daily Tech News Show. He's got a brand new podcast out now, Work Insanity, all about the experiences of working from home. That's along with Patrick Beja. And he joins us now. Tom, welcome to the show. Oh, it's good to be here, Justin, and not talking about British politics for once. Unless you want to talk about it. Do we want to start off with uh, uh, the, the scandal of Boris's aid? The comings and goings. The comings and goings. Do you want to do a real quick recap on that before we get into tech, or do you want to save I mean, that for the end? Real, real quick, real quick. Uh, that, that's an interesting one because it is definitely bigger than the sum of its parts, right? Like, at worst, the guy drove somewhere that he should Okay, be, hold on. Right? Yeah, yeah. Please please explain the basics here, just for people yeah, who have so, not So the basics no are idea. an aide. So this isn't even a minister. An aide 
to Boris Johnson, who many sometimes imply might be the brains behind the operation, you know, yeah, gets a lot is, of credit for for some of Boris's successes. Th- this uh, this is a little like a uh, 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 Steve Bannon was to Donald yeah, Trump, like yeah, like yeah, he's yeah. got that kind of reputation amongst the press and and his Boris's friends and enemies. And uh, and he uh, is accused of breaking the lockdown. Uh, by driving uh, from London up into the north uh, to be with family uh, and citing childcare as the reason. Couldn't get good because you can't get childcare in London, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. So he says him and his wife were sick or had COVID symptoms. Right. No, that is important. See, I'm, I'm totally, uh, I'm prepared uh, for this. You're you're right. They, they had symptoms. Uh, they needed to self-isolate. They knew they were going to be self-isolating for a while. Uh, so they decided to drive up, uh, to a family residence, uh, and self-isolate there. There's a couple of other controversies as well. Uh, he is accused of taking a drive. Uh, he says he was doing it to test his eyesight, he wanted to drive uh, in in the local area first before he took the drive back to London to go back to work. Yeah. Uh, there's also uh, an accusation that after he went back to work and drove back to London, that he then drove back up north and was seen on the street out there violating lockdown again. He denies that one outright. He's like, no, I I absolutely did not go go back up. Uh, but there's been calls for him to resign for these accusations to the point that one of Johnson's ministers has resigned in protest, but Cummings has not. (laughs) The way it was explained to me by a reader of the free political newsletter was everybody is very bored and nobody likes Cummings. Like the, the Boris's enemies don't like Cummings. Many of Boris's friends or people in the conservative party don't like Cummings. Knives so, out for Cummings. Yeah. And so now it's like, this is just the perfect situation where there's yeah. probably something that didn't, that wasn't on the up and up, but now sure. the knives are out. I mean, if, if you, if you take the least charitable view, it's that he, he drove somewhere during lockdown when you shouldn't have driven anywhere. Yeah. That, that nobody's accusing him of, you know, going out to the clubs or anything like no, that. No, like, no, no. Uh, and, 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 you know, sure. Uh, public official advising the prime minister uh, of a major uh, world power uh, has to be held to a higher standard. Uh, all those, those arguments apply, but that makes sense to me that the people are just kind of bored and like it, mad at Boris Johnson for lots of other things. And this is the latest one that they're like, no, this is enough. You look at the scoff law, you know, while, while my family uh, had to stay in London uh, and take care of our children, I didn't get to go up to a country estate. Uh, I saw several articles like that saying like, you know, I didn't get to, to break quarantine. Why should Dominic, Dominic Cummings have, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's some valid concerns here, but no, there's, there's, the there's a lot of, does seem yeah. elevated. Were we not in lockdown? There's a lot of rules for thee, but not for me kind of mm-hmm. issues. At yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. So there we go. That we, we were able to squeeze a little bit of UK uh, correspondent talk yeah. out of, out of oh, time. I feel better. But let's get into what is, of course, your stock and trade. And that is understanding the world of tech and explaining it to people on Daily Tech News Show. Tom, we're friends enough that you know I despise talking about the thing that Trump tweeted today. Unfortunately, I also love talking about the <laughs> uh, uh, 
issues by the issues of social media platforms to try to do the tricky thing of policing truth. Uh, so we, we have an intersection of those yesterday as Donald Trump, two of Donald Trump's tweets, both about mail-in voting, were slapped with a, a, a facts about this, a fact check link below it, not unsimilar to things that we've seen on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, but this is a new thing for Trump. Uh, it was that new on Twitter in totality. Is that the first time that we've seen those kind of fact checks at all on Twitter? Yeah, so I did a deep dive for DTNS about the history of Twitter's uh, uh, moderation uh, and fact-checking system. And it is not as extensive as Facebook. Facebook has gone to, one might say, over-engineering the problem, uh, setting up councils of fact-checkers from multiple organizations across a spectrum of beliefs, uh, setting up an independent court that people will be able to appeal the moderation decisions to. Uh, Twitter has done none of that. What Twitter has done has said when people criticize them for not removing tweets by Donald Trump, Trump. Yeah. Uh, hey, world leaders, world leaders, uh, you know, are a different situation and it's important to uh, not squelch the conversation uh, has sort of been their, their, their tag there. More recently, they have started putting fact checking links on COVID-19 tweets okay. and deep fake tweets. So deep fake starting in February, COVID-19 starting in March uh, with updated policies where they would label them as Hey, get more information about this. So the the tweet from the president uh, having a label that says "get more information about mail-in balloting" is consistent in form to deepfakes and COVID nineteen, but it is new in content. Twitter has never uh, stepped outside of manipulated video or health. COVID-19 related tweets, as far as I could tell, this is a new case of them entering a new arena of this sort of labeling. I have taken to calling these issues a hashtag hell portal, hashtag portal to hell, mostly because I believe the further you step into this quicksand, the more you realize it's a lost cause and the more you twitch and flail, the worse you are going to get. Part of this is because, and and I didn't, I wasn't aware of the deep fake or the COVID stuff, but I would say the deep fakes actually, I kind of agree with that. It's like, look, if something is deep faked, you know it, right? It, it, but you might not know it immediately. So saying, hey, this is, you know, get more information about deep fakes. That's something that is provable. Either it is or it isn't. If it's a, an incorrect assumption that it's a deep fake, then you can uh, appeal it on some level, theoretically. The COVID stuff, you're getting a little bit more into the deep water. But when it comes to political speech, I don't think there's any way to win for these platforms, mostly because there's no unimpeachable source that can't be attacked politically do you think I am being overreactive with this stuff? <laughs> uh, it, it It is an unwinnable fight. No matter what you do, someone is going to criticize you. If you want to be optimistic and you work at Twitter, you might say, gosh, if, if we did a few things better, fewer people might have been upset at us. But remember, Twitter, this is what's interesting to me. Twitter has been very much on the, we think more speech is better. Yeah. We understand that 
no rules at all have been bad. So they've been very selective up to now to say, look, if it's endangering people, we're going to remove it. Uh, that was kind of the broad thing. And that's when deepfakes came in and said, look, this might endanger people uh, by reputation, making it look like they said or did something they didn't. And so we think it's fair to just label that. We're not necessarily taking it down unless it could cause potential harm. That's when they remove things. They've been very clear about that for a long time. Uh, but we'll, if it's not going to cause immediate harm, we'll let people know, hey, this person, this has been manipulated. Uh, and then with COVID-19, it was the same way. They had this grid of, if we think it's, in dispute, uh, then and and it it had caused moderate harm. If they're wrong, we'll we'll label it. Uh, if it's definitely misleading and definitely could cause harm, we'll remove it. And it was very clear what they were going to do. It's about COVID nineteen, and it meets these criteria. You're still down to who decides the criteria. Who decides the line between that's disputed, uh, that's unverified, or that's misleading? Right, misleading yeah. being the most serious. Um, and, and that's where I think Twitter has fallen down the most is not providing transparency about who's making these decisions. But they were very good at saying this is how we're going about these decisions until now. Uh, it seems like a really bad idea to suddenly decide, you know what, uh, let's start correcting election information because that could cause harm. Uh, and they're they're trying to say this is an outgrowth of the COVID-19 uh, way of doing things, which is that grid of like, oh, is it misleading? Is it could it cause harm, et cetera? But there was no discussion of applying it to this category until Tuesday. And it's also not the thing that they could have even hit him on. If they would have hit him on the the hydroxychloroquine stuff, it that I, I I at least could have seen that natural outgrowth because that is a controversial subject about COVID. Mail-in balloting, I guess technically is about COVID in that that's why it's being pushed, but we're, we're into deep water. And again, this is, this yeah. is my, my point that specifically with politics stuff. And from my vantage point of watching how political footballs are minted and why they are thrown at the velocity they're thrown at, this is Twitter they're laying themselves out for for political battle now uh they are they are stepping into the crosshairs that now there is a class of people that will that are that already beat up on silicon valley and social media for censorship against conservatives that now this is it this is this is the proof this is what they need to run with yeah, and I think they hoisted themselves on their own petard in a couple of ways. Uh, one, the hydroxychloroquine thing was uh, an unknown, right? It was it was not even necessary. It depends on how you look at it, whether it was unverified or dispute. Sure. It, it was something where like, hey, this might work. And what Trump was saying was, you know, rah, rah, let's, let's push for this as a possible cure. Exactly. Uh, and, and so- it didn't really meet the criteria for even being labeled because he wasn't saying this is the cure. Also, yeah. there wasn't imminent harm. Wasn't he wasn't saying, that everybody go take fish poison. Yeah. He was saying, let's research hydrocarbon. You know what I mean? So yeah. he, he, he skated within Twitter's lines with the Tuesday post. He said, there is no way zero that mail-in ballots will be anything less than substantially fraudulent. That's, that's a more definitive statement, right? That's saying, all mail-in ballots are fraudulent, uh, and or at least they all Twitter they all they all that. contain 
a significant security flaw for which fraudulence will no doubt find its way. Well, he said mailboxes will be robbed, ballots will be forged, even illegally printed. Like he made accusations. That's something a Twitter engineer mind can grab onto and go, okay, are those things true? Are they in dispute? Uh, Or are they uh, misleading? And Twitter decided they were misleading. They cited in the human curated page that you get when you click on learn more about mail-in balloting, CNN and the Washington Post and others as the fact-checking mm-hmm. sources. Mm-hmm. Which brings and, us uh, to another. I mean, again, that's my problem. If there were a place, let's say a more formal version of Wikipedia, something that that uh, uh, is is its reputation is chaotic, right? It's not necessarily biased, and so. Uh, uh, let's let's clean up the chaos in this fantasy world and imagine that there is a place that literally just states verifiable facts and and with no editorial uh, uh, thing. Then even then, I feel like you would have a problem, let alone uh-huh. stepping into the ring where you're like, yep, get more information. And the two places we're going to give you are two places that the president also hates and and regularly rails and, against. And to be fair, the, the page gives you more information from lots of different sources. It includes a bunch of tweets and a bunch of things. It's not limited to CNN and Washington Post, but what everyone looks at is where did you determine that what he wrote was false yeah. or misleading? And they say Washington Post, CNN, and others. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, you've drawn a political line in the sand by saying those two sources, uh, because whatever you think about the Washington Post and CNN, conservatives generally think they are liberal leaning and are less likely to find them to be fair evaluations of the president. How much of this has to do with the other Trump uh, Twitter story that blew up yesterday, which was the widower of a woman who died in the office of Joe Scarborough back uh, when Scarborough was a then recently announced retired uh, congressman. This has been a a, a a conspiracy that has floated around for decades now, but Trump, for whatever reason, has picked it up and decided to beat the MSNBC host with it on Twitter. The widower writes a letter uh, yesterday pleading with Twitter to pull down those tweets and Twitter responds, we can't do that. Do you think these two things are connected? Man, it's hard to imagine a world in which they are not. Uh, I, I I imagine a lot of meetings happening on Zoom yesterday and, and, and Twitter employees uh, arguing that the Scarborough tweets uh, were harmful to, to the family of the deceased. Uh, not, you don't have to argue that they're harmful to Scarborough. You just, you could say like, these are harmful to the family. They should go. I can see Twitter holding the line saying world leader conversations around world leaders are important. Uh, if you silence them, you, you push them to speak in other places and there's less of a conversation. Let's let the conversation happen around this. That is consistent with what they have done for years. And that is what they did. They left it up. They were consistent with their policies, but somewhere, somebody found the ability to argue, well, then what about this one? Yeah. And somehow convinced someone that even though it's not COVID-19, like you said, Justin, maybe they said, but it's kind of because of COVID-19. So I know you're not giving in on the Scarborough stuff, but come on, give me this. And in a meeting situation, a, a feeling of compromise could lead Twitter to do something which they haven't done before, which is 
enter a new arena of fact-checking without being very clear up front, we're now going to start doing this. Uh, they reacted. They reacted and started doing something before they laid out the clear policy for it. Do we have any indications in the 24 hours that has elapsed since that there is any more communication coming from Twitter on how this happened, why this happened, and whether or not we will see similar instances going forward? No, not a lot. Uh, there've been, a, there's been a lot of communication around the Scarborough tweets that, that is what Jack Dorsey wants to talk about. Uh, that is what Yoel Roth, uh, who is the, the head of integrity for Twitter, uh, and usually the one writing the blog posts about this sort of thing has been talking about. I have not seen much on the mail-in balloting, uh, tweet, uh, except to acknowledge that it's there. And then the one, uh, quote, there was one quote to Ars Technica that the page was created and managed by its global curation team. Uh, and that's about it. Trump tweeted this morning that uh, obviously Twitter is now among <laughs> on his enemies list and that this is a indeed a validation of all of the fears that conservatives have said about social media harboring a bias against them. Uh, he also made mention that there could be regulation or, or a shutting down of Twitter. Well, I don't want to go and interrogate exactly how specifically uh, literally what he is typing could be made real. I do want to tie it to the fact that all of these social media companies, but probably more specifically Google, Amazon, and Facebook are on the lookout for regulation and are worried uh, and trying to take proactive steps to stave, uh, uh, to stave that off. Do you think that this brings regulation of digital platforms closer? No. It was already, like you said, it was already really close. This, uh, this, I tend to look at the tweets from the president's personal account, which yes. are the ones that make the news. Yeah. Uh, nobody ever talks about at POTUS because all at POTUS does is retweet what the real Donald Trump, uh, tweets. So from the president's personal account, I, I tend to look at that as a way for him to campaign, uh, and nothing said there. Uh, is really worth giving much weight to. Uh, like a stop clock, some of it will be right every so often, uh, but it is it is not worth paying attention to. Actions and actual uh, answers to questions in person, uh, that's where the tale will be told. And like you said, we are very close to regulation for all kinds of tech companies. There was yeah. an article about today that uh, Google is being looked into again uh, in the United States. So there is, you know, and they were already being looked into for other things. Amazon is being looked into. I, I actually would be surprised if Twitter came up uh, as a as a major investigation, but I wouldn't be shocked to see them tacked onto another one if they get uh, some of these bills underway, like Rubio is putting forth to say, let's look at repealing two thirty uh, safe harbor protections for for uh, platforms that are not subject to or that, that, that have been shown not to be fair uh, to conservatives as well as liberal voices, uh, that you might see Twitter for, but there was already momentum for that anyway. So this might give a little bump to those kinds of legislative pushes, uh, but even those, there's there's no way they're making it through the House uh, until after the Republicans regain control of the House. So I, I really don't think this moves the needle much at all. Yeah, even even the fact that there's just a little adrenaline and that more people want to go on television and talk about it. 
hey, it's great for the campaign. Uh, yeah. And and that's what the that's what the Twitter posts are for is is getting people riled up, uh, getting the people who are against the president to yell and scream in a way that turns off uh, people in the middle, uh, so they stop listening to them uh, and and get the base uh, really fired up to to want to turn out. That that's what these fights are for. And this is a dream fight for for the president. Oh, it's a can't uh, lose. It's yeah, like, this is this is like thank you Twitter for handing Trump, you this gift. Trump getting, it has almost zero negatives for the president. If the only thing better for him would for for would be for there to have a tweet deleted, and right. the only thing better than that would be for his his account to get deleted, like this close to an election, yeah. it would be yeah. pandemonium. Pandemonium. It would be a massive story. And the sad irony is, well, I don't know, sad, sad for Twitter is that for everybody who thinks that deleting his account would stop the influence, you would just be, you would, you would just realize how much attention we can give to Mastodon, right? Like, oh, sure. Like, there's there's no way that that genie goes back into the bottle. Uh, and there's no way that, that the president wants to shut down Twitter at all. No, of course not. <laughs> No, he loves Twitter. Twitter's the best thing that happens. I mean, somebody found an old quote where he was talking about when he was still running, or maybe he had won, but he was talking about whether or not he would still use the real Donald Trump account. And he said, I think I still will. I hope I'll do it less. But the thing that I like the most about it is that when I feel that I'm covered unfairly, I can write what I think and everybody covers that. And that's not going away. Yeah. Like that is, that is for him to value that. That is a, a, a baseline value to him as a candidate and as a president in, in, in his mind. I really think Twitter thought they were being robotic about things, thought they were like, we are the, you know, nonpartisan robots, no matter what we as humans think, these are our policies. And they really slipped with this one uh, because I honestly don't think it changes anything for the president if they had put out a policy saying, and now with election-related issues, if it has to do with voting and the mechanics of voting, and this yeah. is our graph for how we'll label it, and then they labeled it, uh, it, it would have had the same effect. Uh, but a lot of people are going to be able to point to Twitter and, and say, like, obviously they they just did this reactionary. And so there's there's a tiny bit of extra fuel to the fire there. Yeah, if you're going to do something like this, I I think you have to be purposeful about it. Like if you're going to put those links on a world leader's account, number one, you have to have conversations that I don't think have been had in Twitter about every world leader's account having stuff like that go on it, right? Like that now we need to understand that government communication has to be governed differently. And number two, I don't think you just do it on a random Tuesday. I think you say, look, after this date, we're going to be looking into doing stuff like this. And here's examples of what yes. we would have done in the past. And that's what they did with COVID. That's what they did with labeling uh, deep fakes. Uh, that's what they did when they talked about, when they resisted re removing world leaders, they said, here's our policy. This is how we will apply it. They're applying it in the Scarborough case. Uh, and yeah, that makes me, it leaves me with the only assumption that uh, the, the emotions stirred up by following their policy regarding Scarborough uh, is what led them to do this instead. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey is a bit of a weird guy. He does weird guy things. There have been rumors 
that uh, uh, elements of Twitter's board has been angling to get him out of leadership now for a little bit. Do you think that th in an incident, a big public incident where the f leader of the free world is very, very angry at you, brings that any closer to fruition? I don't know, uh, because I don't know, I don't have a clear enough idea of what the motivations of the board are, uh, because a lot of people want him out because they feel like he's too soft on the president. Yeah. And this is him being slightly firm-ish, <laughs> you know, like, honestly, nobody's going to click on that link, right? Like, this is barely doing anything. Uh, and, and so, but even so it's, it's tilting the other way. So if the board members are after him because he's being too soft, then this wouldn't be the thing they hang their hat on. If the board members are just after him because they, they think he's irresponsible and erratic, which definitely there's a case to be made for. Uh, I don't know that this gives them fuel for that either, uh, because it is, at least tangential to the policy. I, I, I misspoke earlier, by the way, when I, I said that uh, they they hadn't talked to anyone else that I'd seen. I saw them tell The Verge that this is an extension of the May 11th policy of COVID. So they're they're trying to make that case, and they they told The Verge that. Uh, it, it, this, this doesn't seem to be the kind of irresponsibility they would point to. They're going to look for something a little more management-related, is my guess. I don't know. Seems a little erratic to me, Tom. Yeah, but it involves too many people making the decision. Yeah, yeah. And we don't know whether or not his fingerprints are on it. Or at least he hasn't right, come out and exactly. said, like, me and, and he's my actually team been on, on TV today uh, talking about Scarborough and apologizing to the family, saying, I wish we could do something, but there's a principle we're trying to keep to. Um, and, and not being weird Dorsey. He's, he's being good CEO Dorsey today. Yeah. There's part of me that just... Oh. I know that this is probably not a popular opinion, but I kind of feel like at some point someone's going to have to do this. Just get up and say, yeah, we're the bad guys. We're, we're, we're here to run a web forum. Like we're the electric company. Uh, uh, we're not going to make everybody happy. Uh, we're not, a, we're not necessarily even committing to be a good force for social change. We're here for communication. We're the telephone. Uh, eat it. Like, that is what Twitter was doing for years. And they, they, they finally caved and said, okay, fine. We do have responsibilities for harm. That's, that's how the wedge. I guess, I guess, said, but, but, but Jack, said, well, wait a minute. If yeah. someone's using our platform to cause harm, to kill, to get people killed, we don't want to stomach that. And that's, that's where they started. And, and that's the track that has led here. Yeah. Oh man. Well, uh, <laughs> I think this is definitely the most substantial Trump Twitter story we've had, right? Like there's actual news here. Yeah. Because it's a significant change in policy by Twitter. It applies to the president of the United States, a world leader, uh, which Twitter has, you know, said before they want to give light, lighter touches, uh, to people. They even defined leaders, uh, at one point to be, people who are either in office, running for office, up for appointment to office, who have more than 100,000 followers. So they, they've, they've been very diligent about that sort of thing. So this departure uh, is significant. And the fact that, you know, even if it is a mild label, that any label at all was put on the personal account of the president uh, is, is new. That's news. This is going to be a poop show. It's I wonder, be. I, here's the thing. I wonder well, no, beyond, beyond the Twitter thing, just, just, just like turn into something else, or if it will just burn out, 
No, no, no. It, it beyond Twitter, there is just a coming storm for this election that will wrap around the idea of Silicon Valley wants to elect Joe Biden. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but like, I think that was coming anyway. This it is, was. This you know, is oh one no, more it was. Piece of that it show. was. It's one just, more piece of poop in the show. Exact. Yeah. No. Yeah. This is yeah, just yeah, yeah. the you know what, <laughs> one what one of the horsemen of the apocalypse that we all knew was coming just showed up a little earlier than we might have thought it would. Yeah, like the horse poop of the apocalypse. the horse poop of the apocalypse. Uh, yeah, I I just think you know there was the other story that was going around in conservative circles yesterday about uh, uh, YouTube deleting. Chinese characters that would be significant to uh, censorship or or uh, yeah yeah there were there there were there were two critical uh, phrases in Chinese characters that were being auto deleted. YouTube says it was a it was a problem in the algorithm that they didn't catch because they're all working from home. Yeah, uh, I think there's more to that one. Well, exactly, and it's like here we go there's going to be more stories like this yes absolutely whether yes. they come from twitter or not doesn't even matter well i mean there, there's that, that, the other... going to be a, a drumbeat for looking at anything like this and slips are going to happen and those slips are going to be highlighted and that's the other problem with twitter making the move is that the move doesn't just happen in a vacuum because right. now the next explosive like donald trump will tweet about mail-in ballots again Oh, like he, this, he tweeted before he tweeted in Nevada. He tweeted about Nevada bail-in ballots and it was not labeled, although maybe wasn't arguably as strong as this one. But yeah, he's he's been doing this for a while. He's going to keep doing it. He will push it again. And now the question is, why don't you do anything? And that's where Twitter gets itself into trouble. Tom, well, maybe that's the move, right? The president just wants to just just keep hammering away on this. Keep getting those labels, building up those labels that you can point to. Right? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because look, um. Trump 2020 is run by Brad Parscale. Brad Parscale is very social media literate. Uh, probably the most social media literate campaign uh, uh, manager in history. And in fact, easily the most literate. Uh, I'm sure that they know what their fundraising spike was yesterday. Oh, yeah. I do not doubt, do not for a second doubt that they would push that if they see engagement and uh, money come from it because they know how powerful that is. I can imagine Parscale saying, phrase it this way. Oh, <laughs> this yeah. Perfect way to be over the line to get labeled, but not so egregious that, that reasonable people on the middle won't go, well, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Tom, uh, Daily Tech News Show is where, of course, everybody can find you five days a week. I'm on there every Thursday. Uh, I'm sure there was more Twitter talk today, right? Yes. Uh, again, uh, apolitically, uh, we broke down the history of Twitter's policy. Uh, kind of the, the, the Daily Tech News Show uh, brief is to give you the tools to make up your uh, mind about technology issues. This is a technology issue. So if you want to get like the detailed blow by blow policy of how Twitter did this, check it out. All right. And uh, yeah, so check that out today, the uh, May 27th episode, and then I'll be on the May 28th episode, although I don't know, uh, this will probably be out of the news cycle by then, unless something else happens, which is always a possibility. Uh, Tom, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And that will wrap it up for us today. I want to put this out loud and clear. If you like this show, 
then you're going to really, really appreciate the free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Five days a week, five stories a day. It's the quickest read in the world. And you get a chance to be a part of the best readership ever. Like, at this point, I'm only finding five news stories a day as an excuse to publish all the great emails that we get each and every week. And there's some fun stuff uh, coming up there. We're we're cyberbullying Andrew Heaton into running for Congress. We're, We're getting great, insightful emails from Swedish college students. It's a thing. It's a great time. Go ahead, check it out. Free Political Newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. I want to thank our Titanic $10 tier. Middle-aged Mike, Chad, Dallas Danger Taylor, your boy Craig, Zachy Chan, TroubledFilm.com, Nick, Utah, Jimmy Montana, D-Laser, Captain Bunzo, Frozen Summers, Milk Leg Scoop, Emily Wolf, Glenn 99, Berkeley Stephen, The Gen, NH Blumpkin, Robert Eoxy, DL, Andrew Brad, Daily Tech News Show, Darren Kitchen... I poop my pants. Jay Millius, Jonathan Scott, Lindsay, Logan, MacBook Pro, Miranda, Nick, Nomadic Terran, Olin, and Angela, Richard, the Lonely Now, and Thor. If you would like to join their ranks, then please head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. A reminder that the $3 level gets you two bonus episodes. $1 gets you into the big tent. And I appreciate each and every nickel and dime that you guys throw to this operation you want to follow me on twitter it's at justin r young instagram's the same thing until next time this is your old pal gerb saying some shows talk about politics others talk about politics and still more dare to speak about politics but this is the only show that dares to talk about Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>